I think that there are platforms that everyone will make available. And like, you're targeting all the same things we are. It's just that you have a, a different optics in how you view it. And you have a lot well, I've of got a different circle. That's what it is. You know, if you look at jobs today, 85% of jobs are filled strictly by networking. Mm. Only 15% ever happen over an ATS system. And then you take things like you have recruiters that tell women, use your initials, don't use your name. Well, that completely defeats the purpose because if companies are trying to diversify and hire more women, they're not going to be able to spot you. But if you reach out to the women on your team and ask them to introduce you to other women or industry peers, most of us know other women that would absolutely do that. But it's just, unfortunately, it becomes a time thing, right? Like, I don't think you maliciously don't hang out with chicks. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I don't maliciously, you know, everybody has their own circle of friends. And, and we get so busy in daily life that I think that sometimes we just kind of forget to do that little extra. That's why you need someone to reach across the table, you know. But that's what happens when you start having more women on your team. Their network is not going to be your network. Their network's going to be different, but your networks together could be fire. And so yeah. I think we really have to get, you know, that's one of those areas we were talking about where technology does good. I think that's one of those areas where technology has really hurt us mm -hmm. because these ATS systems work on keywords. And so if you're going to, if you got to trick it and you got to play games and there's classes on how to game these systems. Mm. So if you have to teach it, it's not natural, right? Yeah. If you have to teach it, there's something not quite right with that. And so what we need to do is just say, you know, I almost think we need to go back to the old analog days where you actually read a dang resume to see what was on it. And some people just don't present well on a res on a piece yeah. of paper, you know, but they'll tell you if you're doing the applicant tracking thing, you need to go in, you need to change your resume so that you use the keywords in the job description for everyone. And, you know, in this industry, we don't have standardized job descriptions. That yeah. hurts us, right? Yeah. Um, and even from one company to the next, the same job is going to be completely different duties. That's true. Very and so true. when you start trying to fill in those keywords, you're going to have to read that job description, redo your resume. And now what you've created is a time toilet yeah. that's not getting you where you need to go. And I would say the same from the women's side. If you have an interest in tech, you need to be reaching out to men in tech. You need to be reaching out to other women in tech. You need to be reaching out, you know, find a local networking organization, find some of those organizations and go to a meeting, go show up. What are you seeing? Because I know that you're at the forefront of some of these things. What are you seeing from the feedback on them for the things that they're struggling with or the trials and tribulations that they have trying to gain traction or ground in this space? What is the resistance they're finding? Is it really as simple as the good old boy club or is it um, they don't know how to present themselves? Like, I'll tell you this. None, none of us really do a good job of that because that's something that needs proficiency too. And I was joking with my own team about that, where like I have a guy that manages my entire field team and he is exceptional at what he does. He's, he's our master chief for our, and if you understand the significance of that in the Navy, you're yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. his Navy guy. He's yeah. that's our cob. Like when I was in the submarine, you know, we have, let's say 120 of us and let's say 12 or officers and the rest are enlisted that run that ship, you know, and the guy that runs the enlisted is the cob or the senior enlisted NCO. And, um, that's the person that scared me more than the skipper. I mean, he could take away my liberty and my freedom and my rank and my money and everything, but that dude controlled whether or not he was Caesar, right? And those senior NCOs, like getting those people to understand what it is that we do, like that's, I'm, fo I'm focused hard on them because the way, like my senior NCO, my master chief for my team, the one that manages our field team, all the coaching, mentoring, and guidance that he has. And he's flying all over the country all the time and parachuting on their program, sitting on their OACs and like coaching them up. What did you hear? Let me tell you what I heard. That's constant. It's nonstop. If I gave him my resume to go work for him, I would never qualify. He would never hire me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And yeah. those senior NCOs are almost like that too because they you know, they are so experienced. So I'm like, how do you open the aperture up on that side? And I do think the networking side, like the word of mouth where like, if I get a resume, that's gold. Yep. But if I get like, I can, I could understand the quality of that based on who sent it to me. Sure. Right. Well, I mean, that's what networking gets, right? Somebody's going to hand you as a sponsor, this resume and say, Hey, this is a great young lady. I really think you should look at her or, you know, and, and I think that we have to be more clear to hiring managers, not just the HR department. Because, I mean, let's face it, I think HR is is part of the problem. I, it's so, tough. I, I mean, it is. But 
you know, HR has dealt with, you know, they have a finite set of things they have to deal with, and we've given them a system, and that's what they're supposed to hire out of. Some of them do exceptionally well. You know, you take some of the bigger guys, and like the the one that runs safety over, I think it's at Google, came from the mining industry. Mm. Well, some brilliant person thought enough to think, oh, you know, that could be that could be a good fit over here because the skills are similar. And I think we don't give HR the tools they need to support us, right? If we say, hey, look, we have this job opening. And what I really need is somebody that's coachable, maybe somebody that's worked on some level of project or somebody that's, and break it down into the skills we need, not the job definition skills. Then I think that opens up a whole different talent pool because you can train for anything. I think you can. I think, you know, going back, because you were, you were talking a lot about character, and I'm like, yeah, I think we hire for character and then we train talent because the way that we do things now, I mean, like I don't value experience that much. I used to. And then I realized like. Well, sometimes you have to untrain bad habits too. <laughs> there's a lot of baggage to come with people, a lot of experience, but there's also just simply like, how good is that experience? If, if you're an auto mechanic in the eighties and you've been working on cars for 20 years, but then you stopped and you came back, I mean, cars are high performance computers now, right? So the way you troubleshoot them is different, right? And experience, if you've been in the industry for 20 years, I mean, think about how many different means and methods you used to build data centers when you first started and now all the technology, right? And I am a huge fan of adopting all the new emerging technology we can as a business because I have to train my team to be ready to go deliver the next generation data center that's going to roll out in three years from now. And that's going to be designed around a whole another technology platform yep. that who knows, but I know it's not going to be the same product that we're building today. So how do I introduce technology to them to where they embrace it, to where they can use it to go deliver the next generation data center? Right. And that's, that's the struggle. Don't you? I do. And, and you know, honestly, I think that's where on the job training is really the key. I mean, else. how did you grow what you grew? You did it by on the job training, right? You took people, you trained them up for what they need. You hired the skills that you needed to train those. And I think, you know, Wall Street probably hurt us a little bit because companies became so beholden to the bottom line yeah. that the easiest ones to get rid of are the experienced people because they're the most expensive on your payroll. Mm. And so you get rid of those and you hire young talent and you expect to train them. But the problem is, is you get rid of the people that could train them. Ooh. And I think that as we're working on retiring people out, if you're going to give somebody an early retirement, say, hey, look, we'll give you a year's salary, but for six months, you're going to train a new crop. Yeah. You know, how easy is that? Like, that's a pretty simple solution that almost anybody could implement. You're going to pay them out anyway. But now we have that, you get to pass the baton. You get to hand it down to the next generation and you get to make their life a little easier because the technology is going to change. Everybody's going to continue to learn and, you know, it, I, it's all going to be a little different. Even construction methods, which are pretty fixed, are going to change. I think that like when you say Wall Street, I think that when you talk about like publicly traded companies, they're less able to take those short-term losses for long-term gains yeah. that come from training. It's almost like I, at our board meeting last week, I was having a conversation and I was, you know, being challenged by another guy. And I was like, what you're talking about essentially is you have to drive to Dallas from Austin, but you got a flat tire just outside Austin and you don't have time to pull over to fix that tire. So you're just going to drive on a flat all the way to Dallas. I'm like, wouldn't it have been better just to pull over and put a new tire on? That way you could get there faster. I mean, you'll make up that time. And that's what training is, right? I mean, it is. Yeah. My, uh, I actually, so we, you know, we have a board meeting and then we follow that with an executive leadership team, which is my top six, which are two presidents in my C-suite. And then, and then I have, you know, six VPs and that those six in my ELT equate to my SLT, my senior leadership team. And we're sitting down and the number one initiative I gave them all was training. And they're like, you know, why aren't we like revenue was the third, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, even if you're building data centers, like the last build team from an operator side I was on was it aligned and and their KPIs that we had were safety schedule cost in that order, right? And I mean, that's the way that we mirror ourselves from a business in the way that we approach them. Like, um, you know, one of the guys on my team was like, man, we're investing a lot of money into training these people. Hallelujah. But what happens when they leave? I'm like, what happens if we don't invest into them and they yeah. hang out here and then we're, and well, then I'm offering an inferior something to the market and how are we positioning ourselves to be more value to the customer? Right? Sure. 
Well, and I will tell you this too. I've had over 40 certifications. Half half those certifications companies don't even exist anymore. But when you're consulting, everybody, you needed oh, yeah. this certification for this or that sure. one for that. And they're all learning opportunities. And I'm a big fan of certification programs because I think it's a great way. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great way for people to learn and then demonstrate that they know. It's just like a degree in my opinion. Yeah. So, but as you start building up some of these trainings and things, you know, one of the things my executive team came back and said, well, look, we're investing a lot in training. And when they leave, we have to turn around, and pay somebody back. And I said, okay, well, we'll make that easy. I will send you to training, but you're going to have to sign a letter saying that if you, you leave for a within a year, You'll that you're going to pay us back so back. we can train somebody else. And they said, oh, well, yeah, that'll work. That'll work. But, but here's the deal. The more training that you give your employees, the more confident they are, and honestly, in this industry, nobody buys anything from you. They don't buy no. anything you have to sell. What they buy is confidence that you can deliver on what you say that you're going to put forward. And the way to do that is have the best trained workforce. I mean, stuff's going to come up. There's no such thing as a project without hitches. If anybody tells you it is, yeah. I'm going to laugh really hard right in oh, their face. Oh, for sure. So, you know, there's all kinds of things, but it's how you react to those. And when you give people the tools that they need to be able to have those reactions and know where to go find help and know alternative places and, you know, all those things that that make a project successful, then you've invested not only in their success, but your success. And then if you can take them and mirror them with another somebody that's maybe new in the company and say, hey, look, shadow him for a month. Yeah. Shadow him for a year. You know, um, the U.S. Women's Chamber of Commerce has a similar veterans program to SkillsBridge, but it's all for spouses. Same kind of thing. You know, they'll pay. It's now I think it it actually equals what it was for the vet. It was half before, but I think they've equaled it this year. But they take and all these women have associates or above. You can put them on your payroll. Now you have a, a female veteran spouse that has experience that you can build experience with. And a lot of these jobs are remote. You know, there's a lot of people in the military that need remote jobs for their spouse because they don't sit in one yeah. place very long. So I think, you know, a lot of these avenues exist. I think what we miss sometimes in this industry is the exposure to all the opportunities that are out there to make it right. And we don't look and say, hey, company, whatever you are, maybe you're not publicly traded. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're an Overwatch. Let's look at what you're doing. And let's showcase this and celebrate it and see how we can replicate this somewhere else. Because that's the secret to success. It's not everybody reinventing the wheel. And there's too much of that in this industry. Like mm. there are people that, um, and I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining because I'm absolutely not. But there are people that are like, we're writing our own books, so we're not going to talk about yours. Well, I don't really care if you talk about my book or not. I wish you all the success in yours and I hope it kicks butt because it's better for the industry. Yeah. But we got to stop doing that. We have to stop. We got to take the egos off the table yeah. and we have to treat humans with the same training and attention that we pay to technology and learning technology and learning the new next best widget, right? So if you take a, a data center, say a colo that's building out space, they might have three different areas or, you know, three different buildings and maybe there's different equipment in all three of those buildings. So now somebody's had to learn three different pieces of equipment if they're going to support all three of those buildings in one city. All right, well, then match them with somebody at each one of those sites. Let them swap positions. Like I used to do that when, when you write disaster recovery and business continuity plans. The best thing you can do is have somebody document their entire job. Like just have them note everything they do for a day. Yeah. All through the week, end of month processing, end of year <clears throat> processing, get it all down on paper. And then take that manual and give it to somebody that knows nothing about their job and say, okay, now use these steps and do that job. Because then what you do back to that ignorance comment, right? You pick up all those little things that somebody just knew intuitively, like, oh, I just hit enter if that error message pops up. Well, no, it's important to know what to do when that error pops up to give it to this person. And so you start picking some of those kind of things. And I think yeah. those are the things that make it successful is when we all learn from each other as much on the people side as we do on the technology side. I'm a, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I just yesterday we were having a conversation where we were talking to one of our customers and, and we have, um, we have a program called Ovita, the Overwatch Veteran and Transition Apprenticeship, where we take people transition out of the military and we immerse them, but it's our, we, we pay for that internship. We put them on a project and, um, you know, everybody benefits. The senior PM on that program has a junior person to teach. And 
what and uh, an extra pair of hands <laughs> well yeah because they they have to do some of that heavy lifting it takes a little bit of the pressure off the senior pm but what i've learned is the senior pms tend to do things right because if they have a lot of experience they could kind of what takes some people five days they could get done in three because they have become more efficient just like a doctor and they they've call been it, through the school of hard knocks <laughs> you learn through immersion you learn through trial and error and you know, like many people call it, you know, in the law profession or even in the medical profession, they call it practicing medicine for a reason. Exactly. Know? Some just practice better than others. And some professionals are able to do in four days what takes another five or three, which takes another whatever. And and that training, like that opportunity to, to level set that training, that um, that was really critical to us. We were investing into the future because we knew the industry was lacking, but I couldn't just look the 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 demand for talent is getting even more intense almost to a crisis level every month and and what does that mean now i mean you're talking about the number of attrition rate we have for people that are leaving the industry from a female perspective but i mean we have a lot of people that are leaving the industry we have at least 10 percent of our our churn from industry outside of the industry they're going to high tech to build semiconductor or they're i'm not getting on a plane every week i'll go work for a different somebody and right. build industrial going here. To real estate i want my own hours yeah they're like I'm, I mean, there's a million your life dictates a lot of what you do for a job true but there's also um there's a 20 percent churn rate within the industry that's just passed back and forth right we see a lot of that but now poaching yeah a lot yeah. of poaching and for us you know we're in the professional services game we offer two products construction project management um, which is just staff augmentation or full-time staff placement through, you know, recruiting. And it's typically military people that we're placing. Now think about that. If I have a team of people and they're trained and proficient, wouldn't you, if you're an operator, just go and be like, mm, this person's been on my program for a long enough time. They know where the bodies are buried. They do this and that and, and they want to hire them. Right. And for us, like that's a third rail for us. And I look at it as that's change. We embrace all change. We're in the business of change. So instead of uh, frowning upon that and trying to protect these workers from leaving, we take everything back to one word, purpose. Like, is that your purpose? Would you rather go work for the operator? Then you should go work for the operator. Take that job, 100%. And we always tell people, they're like, hey, we want to hire one of your people. We're like, we now have contracts. are like, if you want to hire them from us after they've worked for you for six months, no problem. This is what the placement fee is for them. And if they'd rather go work for you than work here, we love that. We want them to fulfill their own purpose. And if that's what's going to get them one step closer. I think that there's a lot of people in this industry that crush themselves by commoditizing themselves into a bake-off. You know, they're just like, yeah, man, I got a little bit more experience than I did, you know, a year or two ago. So I'm going to go demand a whole bunch more money. And we created an environment where I'm like, look, everybody go make more money than what they're making for us. The only thing I'm going to offset that with, since I can't be the highest paying person, is I'll give you a better purpose. Like, do you want to wake up every day inspired by what you're doing? I'll give you that. And, or do you need another $10,000 a year? Which one would we rather do? Have $10,000 a year and wake up, be miserable what you do? Because there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this podcast that don't have your autonomy and they don't have mine because they are locked into something that they have to do because of the circumstances of their life. Or Well, and I think that's why a lot of women and a lot of people <laughs> leave tech is because they get in a situation they can't get out of and then they take the first opportunity that comes along. That's more money than what they're making. It is. What yep. it is. And well, and these kids, you know, a lot of these kids are coming out with crazy amounts of student debt. So the company down the street offers them an extra dollar an hour. Yeah. You know, when I started in this industry, if you worked anywhere over three years, people want to know what the hell was wrong with you. Yeah, yeah. I think because, it's a little bit like that still. Because you have, you know, once you get two years experience, you're worth maybe... 30, 40% more than you had at no experience, but your company gave you a 5% raise, right? And you're saddled with $100,000 of student debt. Where are you going to go? You're going to follow the money. Yeah. Not always the smartest thing to do. I did that myself. I can tell you there's a few jobs in it. I learned what I never want to do. Yeah. Right? We all have those, right? You have to have those <laughs> you jobs. Have to have those. You have to have a shitty manager before you know what a good one looks like. You have to have a shitty job before you can appreciate a good exactly. one. And I think that that's a maturity thing, professional maturity. Well, I mean, it's part of the growth experience, right? But my deal is, I think that there's so many ways that we can make people feel better supported in what they're doing. Like, which, you know, it's all about purpose for you guys, right? Everybody has a has a thing. If, mm. if money is your motivator, Shitty I don't purpose. think you're ever going to be happy, right. right? I just don't believe that. If you're not giving back, you're doing it wrong. I agree. You're doing it wrong. And so I think we set up these avenues. Like, I'm working with a couple women right now trying to find them a job that are just miserable where they are. 
One of them's because her boss is an absolute micromanaging jerk who, by the way, is awful because he discusses like people's payroll and company meetings. You know, he does some legit jerky things. Um, another one is just because she wants to move and be closer to her new grandkid. Yeah. Right. Circumstances I mean, so of life. people's people's circumstances in life are, are very different. But I don't want them to leave the industry because right. of that. I want them to know that there's avenues they can reach out. You know, we have a a LinkedIn group that goes with the book, that goes with the podcast. That's I mean, awesome. It's, it's a whole thing. So there's a group. It's uh, networking and careers. There's an ampersand as opposed to and. Um, for careers for women, trades, and vets. And you can go out there. You can sign on to that networking group. If you have job openings, you can post them there. If you have questions, if you need to get an account, you got to ask somebody. There are 200 and almost... I think almost 300 now uh, people in there that are willing to network and help you. So those are the kind of things I think as we start setting up these support systems, hopefully we can address some of this attrition and and keep people in there and keep them with purpose and keep them happy and satisfied and, and sort it out. You know, for years, one of the questions was, why do we have so much trouble getting women in tech? And my answer used to be because tech uses, does a really crap job of using tech to solve our problems. Sometimes a mom needs to stay home with a sick kid. Yeah. You want to fire her, you know, or sometimes mom needs to be home at five o'clock in the afternoon to pick kids up from softball. You want to work until nine o'clock at night and you, you tell her you're going to fire her if you don't. And, and it happens to men, too, yeah. not just saying women. But um, but all of those things, I mean, quality of life is a lot in the I read a study the other day that was talking about these new kids looking for jobs that are coming out. And a lot of these kids, the number one thing they're looking for is the culture. Yeah. You know, they want to see them. They want to have, they want to have some purpose. They want to feel like they're doing good. And we all want to do that. I think I don't, well, there's probably a few twisted individuals that set out to make other people's lives miserable. I worked for one at one time, but for the most part, yeah, for the most part, People are really, really genuinely willing to help. You just have to put yourself around the right people and have those right supportive resources. And, you know, we all start somewhere small and grow. That's right. We all start from somewhere. Like, uh, just a couple more things on this, and then I want to shift back into something else. But what is the, um, what's the number one thing lacking in the industry that you think is the easiest solution to start moving the needle and making a difference? Like, is it more podcasts that are being broadcast to more universities? Is it more of those? Because listen, we are setting up field trips for veterans all the time now. And there are a few operators that we ran into that are like all day long, bring them in. We'll figure it out. It's not ideal. But to your point, like Equinex, I mean, I don't know a company that they have so much dedication into the veteran side. And we didn't know that because that's like the best kept secret until we started talking to like Jose. They don't want to share. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're, they're the, they're the 800 pound gorilla. Right. So I remember reaching out to Jose who's a Navy guy. And I was like, Hey, and he goes, let me tell you what we do. And I was like, that's amazing. How come I didn't know about that? And then we were like, well, how can we help? Right. And for you, it's the same thing, right? We're all ESG is a factor for everything. Um, DNI is a factor for everything. It's not like it's a buzzword or a keyword or tricky phrase that we use so that we could virtue single what, you know, it's good business sense. It's really good. Like, like I said, if I didn't have, you know, the lady that works for me that is going to slap me around and tell me, make sure that you're taking care of your team and, you know, just doing the basic things as a good human needs to do. Like I need that, but that's not how I was on a submarine. Not back then, not a lot of women on submarines. There was none actually back when I was on. So I was, you know, in this environment of all dudes and there's not a lot of affirmation that was being poured out in those days. So you tend to lead the way that you are comfortable being led. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes that's not right. So having those blind spots and having someone without an ego. And that's the thing that like we needed there is these ladies that were running around. that are like, check yourself. You know, they, they will bring us down to ground level. I will go back. You might remember this years ago at DCAC. Well, you still do, but you had a barber there doing um, straight razor shaves. Yeah. You remember when I walked up to you and said, am I supposed to sit in this chair and raise my arms up or, or yeah. how is this supposed to work? But the next year I had... But the next year you fixed that, right? And you had something, you know, that was appealing to everybody. And I and I think... But thank you for thing. slapping me. Like, yeah. I needed that. But, you and know, I welcomed it. Yeah. I was like, that's... How did I miss that? But it's, but it's such a simple thing. And, and see, here's the thing is that, you know, for all the good and bad of social media, 24-hour news and all that kind of stuff, I really think that we've lost some of the humanity. And, mm. I, and I think that's maybe one of the good things that came out of COVID is that 
people saw kids running in the room on conference calls and people saw that, oh, you're you're taking a call in your bedroom. And, you know, three years ago, that would have been like, you're taking a call in your yeah, bedroom? No, no kidding. But, you know, people realize that people have lives. And I think what we have to do, and I would say this as much to some of the women out there as the men out there, whatever, is that we have to stop assuming that what we don't like from another individual is personal and intentional. Exactly. We have to realize we're that dopes. we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all screw up. Maybe I said something that was insensitive. I'm sorry. It was not intentional. I can absolutely assure you I would never intentionally, yeah. well, maybe an ex. I would probably say <laughs> something bad about one of those. But, <laughs> but other than that, you know, I think we would, you know, nobody sets out to be intentionally cruel to right. anybody. And I think if we view it from that lens that we're all human and we're all trying to work together and we should all get along, the whole world becomes a much better place. It's called grace. And it, it is. And it fosters, I think, so much more innovation and ingenuity. Like the kid that printed the arm, he had enough compassion to think, my friend doesn't have an arm. I have a 3D printer. I can sort this out. Like... Those little tiny baby steps, I think we don't celebrate. We celebrate so much negative yeah. stuff and we celebrate so much divisiveness. And honestly, it's just so much garbage noise. If we start looking at people like the human individuals that they are and realize most people are have good hearts. I mean, that's why cybersecurity teams have so much trouble, right? Because companies want to trust their employees and they trust them till they can't. Right. And that's usually when people learn is when something fails, right? People didn't, back in the day, nobody thought they needed backups until they needed a backup. Sure. And then it became a whole industry. So, you know, I, I think we have to do the same as humans and just say, look, you know, we need to reach out to people in similarly situated. We need to we need to be honest enough with each other to say, you know, this is, this is kind of bunk right we're, here. We're going to bounce into each other and trade paint. Yeah. And it's not because we're pieces of garbage it's because we're just cavemen and we don't know and we're learning things. about each right. other right look at relationships you do the same thing in a relationship why would you treat your professional relationship which is a big chunk of your life any different than you it. trace your you know your personal relationships i think you know you have to give yourself that time to to meditate and reflect and think about situations and i think you know one other thing that's that's really bad that's come out of social media is just these knee jerk reactions to things yeah. you know and that's where you get to that point where you think oh he's just being a jerk well maybe there's a little culpability on both sides you know maybe there's something we need to talk to on both sides maybe i i have a little you know maybe i'm a little complicit here no for sure and then i that i think it gets better you know that's that's one of those areas that i think but instead of destroying me just teach me yeah, exactly. You don't have to be ugly about it. Yeah, just teach me. Like, yeah. I'll tell you this, like, I want to be the leader that my daughter one day wants to either come work for or be like, you know? So, like, I look at that, I'm like, I know that I, I was born and raised on military bases and a lot of the things that the people around me that did, there, there wasn't a lot of females that were doing some of those things. And even when I was active duty, there just wasn't a lot. I mean, the only time I saw females when I was active duty was when I was at the doctor or the dentist or something like that. And <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. And, and I'm not trivializing the military. They're doing a lot to try to implement more because of the value of having, I had a submarine commander on here, you know, a couple of months ago and he goes, yeah, man, I mean, you know how much value we have having them in the wardroom because they'll take all the, like, I mean it, like we have egos you guys tend to have less of that of a problem, right? And having that neutralize some of that stuff allows a greater exchange to take place. It does. It, and honestly, that's where the best things happen. You know, that open exchange yes. of ideas and people, and I would say too, you know, this industry is very risk averse. Everybody's scared to screw up because Hell they're yeah. afraid it's going to cost them their job. Hell yeah. And what you do is you stifle innovation at that point. <clears throat> like I, one of the best management books I read, and I'm totally going to paraphrase the title because I forget exactly what it was, but it was something like, if it ain't broke, break it. Mm. And this company would incentivize its employees to screw things up as long as they found a solution. So if you came to me and said, here's a process, you can break it. And if you fix it, I'll give you $10,000. That's, now, that's that an, was 30 years ago. That's a lot of damn money. I mean, it's still a lot of money, still but now. 30 years ago, that and was it, a whole lot of money. But that type of incentive. That was life-changing money. 
it, that, that, that changes behavior. But he said that his company grew so fast by doing that because they he it. gave people the opportunity to fall flat on their ass and get back up and and do something different. And and because the data center, you know, everybody expects everything to be instant on time right now. And, oh, my God, we can't go down. We can't go down. But you can, really. I mean, it's inconvenient, right? In they some do. Cases, they go down all the time. Exactly. And in some cases, there's consequences, right? But, you know, That's what four are weeks for. ago, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and one other of the big ones all went offline Is for real. several hours in the day. Do you remember that? Yeah. Did it impact your life? Did you yeah. lose any sleep? So that's the point is, you know. It's marketing, advertising dollars that are being lost or something. Well, it is. And it's SLAs that are getting paid or whatever. But valuable lessons were learned there. 100%. Right? Look what happened with Southwest Airlines. Exactly. Some of the airlines, you know. I was I was leading a, um, a technology forum and there was a guy with a competing airline there. And he said that he had been fighting and fighting and fighting to get some of these changes. And they said, Software no, it's just too, too expensive. It's too expensive to do that. And then what happened to the other airline? He said within five minutes, he got called into the CEO's office. Upgrade. Said, uh-huh. How much money do you need? Let's yeah. make that happen right freaking now. Yep. And so, I mean, a lot of this industry does that risk balance. You know, when you see like a big arc flash that takes out a data center, somebody made Everyone the decision else make changes. Yeah. not to upgrade because they didn't want to take things down to sort that out. And then, oops, guess what happened? They went down in a hard way. Listen, going into data centers that are the home for the lowest cost provider of anything are scary, right? Because that they put the minimum amount of maintenance into certain yes. things sometimes. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about. That's yeah. where that's they don't change until well, there's Well, even pain. the big ones do because it's a corporate decision, right? If you have... Um, I thought I'd turn that off. You're if right. you have other things that are that are tied to that, you know, maybe, well, you know, we can't take eight hours of downtime. Maybe mm, you can, but maybe you do it tire. overnight, right? That's the flat that's tire. That's the flat tire, right? So you have to kind of balance out. And a lot of this is, you know, the ones that pay attention to the stock market and the bottom line. They're like, oh yeah, you know, we really don't need this expense because now we're going to be off on our earnings projections a little. So maybe we're not going to take that, or maybe we don't need this downtime, or maybe we don't. I mean, there's a bazillion reasons that's why it. they don't happen. No, they're all tied back to one thing, self-preservation. Yeah. Someone but, doesn't want to get fired. So they the easiest exactly. decision to make sometimes is to not make one. Yeah. And that's self-preservation. I think that if you tie it back, it's the individual self-preservation, which leads to a lot of these challenges. Yeah. And I, I think the companies that do the best, you know, encourage employees to go learn to something fail. new, go play around on a different team, yeah. fail, you know. If you set up your environment right, they can fail all the time and you'll have a much better solution because they would have done all the failures for you that would happen maybe customer facing yeah. well, <laughs> or something else, you know, that would have a much more adverse consequence. And that's the trick, right? Is teaching people trust is the biggest thing that lacks. Like our industry does not lack genius. It does not no, lack not intelligence. There's a lot of really smart people. I always say it lacks leadership and courage. And from a courage perspective, I mean the courage to fail and it comes down to trust, right? Cause some people, um, they're afraid of, maybe they have PTSD from, and they don't have to be military to have PTSD. We have all been in a, we've all worked for, if you've been around long enough, you've had a shitty boss. And those are the ones that it's like, you wake up in the morning and you go to work and you feel like you're playing Game of Thrones, but in real life, I've had those jobs, right? And you take those jobs for the wrong reasons. You say, I want that title or I want that money. And then you're like, once you're there, you're like, I need to feed my kids. Oh. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> listen, my having cancer and going and having medical bills was one of the reasons why I left being a project manager and got more into opportunities where my overall total earning potential was expanded. And I needed that. So I, um, I just started exploring. I had to start asking more questions. I had to start waiting to be taught and I had to start asking more questions and strive to learn. Right. So I just started finding people and I think the greatest thing about this industry that I share with everybody outside the industry is that every industry, like this is an industry, think of it as like a sport, like football. I mean, in technology, there's, in business, we know if I say Ford or Rockefeller or, you know, Carnegie, like if I say things and use names, those are celebrities and pioneers of industry, JP Morgan uh, and technology from the Michael Dells, the Bill Gates, the Steve Jobs, or um, our industry I mean, just like basketball, everyone, if I said Michael Jordan, you know who that is. You don't have to be a basketball fan or Gretzky. You don't even have to like hockey, but you know who that is. This industry has its own celebrities too. And unlike most other places, they're all approachable. I mean, yeah, 
you know, I could reach out to you. I could reach out to many CEOs in the space. And I've found that when they hit a certain plateau, whether they're in the C-suite or on a management team somewhere, they've almost arrived to the point where they, they're wanting to, they want to reach back down and keep on and keep on pulling people through, right? Most people are like that. And that you could see the performance of a business. And by that performance, sometimes it has something to do just with the industry trends where there's just so much absorption that people don't care where they're going. They just need that capacity and you happen to have it. But in many cases, you could see their, their performance is directly proportionate to their culture. And their culture is going to be measured and weighed based on how they embrace faults and failures and others. Because those that are, like you said, what, what strangles that innovation is the people that have the aptitude to understand emerging technology, but they lack the fortitude to, to adopt it, to push it or champion it because they're afraid of getting their head bit off by someone else. And typically it's self-preservation. Someone else is building an enterprise around them. So how many times have you seen a company where there's somebody that built the entire enterprise around them? So like they've almost made it to where like you couldn't, you couldn't operate without them. Like those are the selfish people, in my opinion, the ones like I keep telling everybody, I'm like, you need to be teaching someone immediately when you get that role to take that role away from you so that I can put you into a different role, including up to me, right? Like at some point, I will, I learned that I hit a plateau when we hit a certain size that I'm no longer an effective enough leader to manage a team that strong and still take the time to be as the CEO, you know, focused on the vision outside the business and the results that I get to, I need to do those things. And to do that, I needed to, uh, you said something when we were driving here where I'm like, I have a whole leadership team of studs and they're all pissed at me about something always every day. And that means you're doing something right. But and it's rightfully so because what they see, like I had a guy call me this morning at seven o'clock and he's on the C-suite and he's not yelling at me. He's just mad in general. And I'm like, that's my fault. I was spread too thin. And when you are taking on a primary duty and five collateral duties, you're kind of going nowhere, right? So like I was getting 30% execution or output performance on five different things instead of having one or two things that I could get a hundred percent deep on, you know? So at certain points, you know, it's all part of the journey and, and, these people that are coming out looking for jobs, like I would tell them, look for the long game, like take a job that makes less money than what you'd like, or the title is less than what you would like, because the only people that give a shit about that are your parents, right? So go get the opportunity that's going to give you the most learning, the most opportunity to grow. And then from there, if you want to go to a bake-off later, because you don't like the culture or whatever, then do you. And, and I'm a big fan of, a, of pollinating the industry. Like Every time I was taking jobs for a while, I would always sit down and be like, I'm only going to be here for a few years. So are you sure you, you, cause I'm, that's a disruptive couple of years. You know, I'm not a big fan. It costs a hundred thousand dollars if you lose an employee, which really speaks to the value of training, of training, because maybe this employee didn't like a certain job, or maybe you hired them in at that job and they're not happy, but they're your employee. And you've got a lot vested in that employee. Maybe there's another job that you can put them in where they will just ring the bell and surprise you. And, and I firmly believe that, that if you hire somebody and you challenge them and you give them everything they need to be successful, they will surprise you every single time. Yeah. And every let, single time. They just have to be able to do that without fear of failing. Yep. Because almost everything that we do the first try, we fail at. I mean, if you're a kid and you're in tech... They're not in the video games going through every level without failing. Thank God they have extra lives, right? And I say that to my kids all the time. I'm like, you have an unlimited set of quarters. Go fail as much as you can. And I try to say that to the team because that's the only thing that will allow them to bust out. And trust is the number one thing I think that impacts culture right now. And you have to practice what you espouse. So everything that, I, you know, I'm, I'm measuring weight on everything that I do. If um, I think that there's a part where you have to figure out what matters most, what matters most to you as a business and, and what matters most to those people, right? Because they could, the, the demand for them is going to be high. If they have any experience, if you're in Virginia and right now you have a screwdriver set in your garage, you're worth 125 bucks an hour, right? Just by being in that market, because that's, they don't have enough, they can't put enough fog on mirrors, right? To support the demand in that market. And you're seeing other markets that are like that. Phoenix is I mean, between what's going on in high tech and what's going on in our industry, it's the demand for labor is massive. And we're not just competing within ourselves, within our own industry to, to, to grow, retain and attract that talent. We're, we're losing talent to other industries because 
you know, someone will fire up something and be like, we'll pay those guys four bucks an hour more, who knows, whatever yeah. it means. But there is so much change that I think that like from us, I just realized I'm like, we have to, we have to invest and triple down on our training, which means that nothing we do is ever static ever again. Right. And that takes me back to your book because you're gonna have an audio book and how you're in final stages of editing. Yeah. It's <laughs> editing right now. When will I be able to listen to that audio book? I'm not going to give you that. Uh, okay. Probably, probably in a couple of weeks before this, before the end of the year. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Within oh, the month. Within the quarter. Within the month. Yeah. Oh, look. Yeah. I, I, there's, I can't give an exact date, but you know. no, no, no. But yeah, I yeah. mean, like those people that don't have the time but want to. Maybe they heard they have the time to listen to a podcast because they're driving an hour to go to work, or they have the time to you know work out for a mo an hour in the morning, and this is what's you know playing through their ears. My thing is. Those people don't have the time to sit down because they have two kids at home and they have the softball practice and they have piano lessons or they just, you know, their husband or their wife travels and they're, you know, wearing two hats sometimes during the week. They're not going to have the time to sit down. They're just barely, they're white knuckling through the week. That audio book, I think will have, not that your book itself didn't have a pretty big push and wave. I mean, everybody I know was buying that book. I think that the audio book will reach a whole nother well, level. I hope it goes together because in the audio book, I'm doing some author notes and some things. Like, yeah. I know this stuff I left out of the book. I, I intentionally did that because I, I really set a goal. It's designed to be a foundation. 200 pages, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a, I'm working on a teacher's workbook to go with it so they can start using it in schools and, and different things. So all that's happening. But the audio book is going to have author's notes and some personal stories and things that, you know, that kind of go along with it. So I, I hope it's engaging and interesting. And it might be that some people, part of it, you kind of need the, the, pictures to go with the language yeah, because it just helps. So I set up a way Where so people you? can go register on the website and get a PDF of just the pictures and color and, and That's do that. Awesome. So, um, and, and some of the books are black and white. Like I did that just so they'd be cheaper, cheaper for some people yeah. that you can get it in black and white or color, but for the ones that got the black and white book, if they want the color pictures, because that's something, you know, they feel like that part of the book is something they would really like to see in color. They can absolutely get that. I'll send it to them. But, um, we had even talked about doing some one-on-one classes for, you know, some, some women that were starting out in the industry. I just want to know what this stuff does. All right, well, sit down. We'll do a couple hours on a Zoom meeting. Invite anybody you want to know that's on there. We'll do that. I'll do that with your team, too. I mean, anybody, I think it's it's just that it takes two seconds to give a shit, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I love it. You know what I mean? It, it takes, it costs nothing to be decent. And if we can't help our fellow humans, we're pretty sorry creatures. I think that that's, that's the best way to codify it, right? We just need more good people doing good shit for others, right? And I believe, like, I'm a very optimistic, hopeful person anyway. So, like, I look at the industry and I see shit and I hear a lot of negative shit. But at the same time, I'm like, look, if you go back in the history of time, everyone's always— There's good and bad everywhere. And I— But I still think that the juice is worth the squeeze. This industry offers so much growth potential. Like, for you, what— what, like shifting back to you, not broad stroke, you know, conversations I could talk all day about the industry because I'm, I love this industry. Same. <laughs> well, look, uh, if it wasn't, I mean, I was born and raised in the military and then I was active duty and the military definitely created my personal constitution as a human being. But <clears throat> I've been out of the military for almost half my life now. And I have developed some of my strongest and closest relationships with people within this industry. And I have uh, been humbled more times from this industry, you know, than any other thing I've- That's I growth. And it's awesome, right? But I also get to go through this whole journey with some of the most amazing people I know. And I love this space. I also love the veteran community, which is why those two things I think are actually perfectly aligned to help each other. Oh, for There's sure. There's veterans that hurt themselves and they just need a job, a mission, a purpose, a tribe. And, and thank God we're in a, a growing industry that has huge- not only they find value in veterans, but they need that talent. And there's only so many that we could pull off or scrape from the top of colleges or trades because the trades are massively stressed. Okay, so I got another statistic for you. Ready okay. for this? Yeah. 37% of the adult population has a four-year degree or better. Of those that have not retired, it's 31%. So you're down to a third of the population. If you take out the ones with advanced degrees in legal and medical, although a few of those would apply to the industry, but we would argue that most of those do not. If you take that out, you're down to about 27% of the population. There is no way that we can fill every open job in this industry with 27% of the population. 
It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And you have to consider it now. If you take a third out of that that are not going to work in whatever specialty they were trained in, now you're done down to about 18%. So if we don't really like ramp up this whole training and internship and apprenticeship programs, we're in a bind. Yeah, I think, I think that we as the consumer put the pressure on the industry to grow. And then we, as the people that have to support the growth of this, we're just not doing enough to put enough labor back into the workforce to be able to support the growth. Well, the pent up demand is exceeding. And I'll throw another one at you. So if we, as this industry grows, how much have you seen that this industry does that teaches everybody with a phone in their hand how to be a better consumer? Mm-hmm. It doesn't uh, happen, right? I was like, I don't think I've ever. <laughs> right? And never. How much power does it take for you to send a picture to 27 people? This is a very little effort. Very little effort. How much power? Oh, well, that's a good question. Right? So I think that we're going to have to, at some point, start including consumers in these conversations. At some point, we're going to have to reach across the aisle to all the people that consume digital and say, hey, we're doing everything we can to green up this industry but we're going to need a little help here. Does everybody, the first one that went around um, years ago, the damn frog in a blender. Did you see that guy? Mm-mm. The first kind of animated email thing that that went like wildfire was a frog in a blender. And then we had a dancing baby. It was the first like little animation oh, the meme, that you yeah. could zip around, you know, and, and share. But people didn't realize like all the storage that takes and all the power and all the resources oh. behind that. And so- if we really want to educate these kids on how to be better consumers and how to be more green and all, you know, how to be better stewards of the planet, we better start looking at our own selves and teaching all these kids how to be better consumers of all the tech that they use because that's what's living in the data centers. But is it, of it. is it consumers or creators? Because they're all, they're all creators. Everybody's a creator now or yeah. an influencer. I mean, I, I was trying to explain to my kids and my, yeah, I don't even know what that means, but I'll tell you my my kid uh, had some of her friends over and we were talking, they were asking like, Hey, Mr. O, what do you do? And I was, that's one of the, the hardest things to explain to adults sometimes. And now I'm trying to figure out a way to have a narrative that's crafted for kids to where they could make sense. They could understand it and hopefully be like, dude, I didn't even know that that existed. Maybe I'll get into that industry. So I'm working on tooling those things. And it sounds like other people are way further ahead of me on that. But I do think that that, 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 language needs to be created to where it could be added to, you know, a teenager's lexicon so that when they go to college, they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, when I get out, I'm going to go work in this industry. I'm going to go do these things. And they're like, what's that? And there needs to be, you know, a greater, it just needs to be more consumable to where they could understand it easier. Right. No, for sure. And, and you do that just like you did language. You start small and then you work big. So, you know, you give the basic core concepts how it all ties together, what that ecosystem is built from. And then if anybody wants to take off and and be any part of that ecosystem, they can shoot off from there. And maybe one part of that ecosystem they don't love, they tried it and thought it'd be cool. But that doesn't mean there's not another one right next to it. But the trick is, once you're in the ecosystem, you can see the rest of the ecosystem. Sure. If you're outside the ecosystem, you know, you're outside looking at that glass, knocking on it like, hey, let me in. <laughs> I think for people that are listening to you, they're going to sit down and figure out, hey, uh, I've learned enough about this lady that I, I, I think I'm going to take the time and I'm going to invest my time into buying a book or, or reading it or listening to it or her podcast. What else do they know? Like what, what I do, I think that they don't understand your purpose. And I think that one of the help, things that helped me understand it is, you know, we, we had a lot of dialogue once, so just over like kids in general. Right. And you're a big, what I learned in talking to you is that if I were from the outside, if I had to write a list, like what's her purpose? I'm like, it is teaching others. And that's like the foster care. Like how many kids have you fostered? 16. Okay. And I didn't do it. Through the, I, I just took them in to keep them out of foster care, but sure. yeah. But your thing has always been coaching, mentoring and training and developing those that are following through. Right. And for that sense, like, I'm not sure if that's your purpose. It seems to be something that you're fulfilled doing. And that's why you do a lot of it. But is there something else like that you want people that are like, I do that. I listen to podcasts and I'll listen to a podcast about, you know, maybe Rogan's interviewing some author and I'll be like, all right, that sounds like it's worthy of my time. I'll read that. What else do you want them to know? Because like, tell them maybe what you do with your consulting practice. What, what is your specialty other than coaching and mentoring the future leaders and 
men and women actually in this industry, but it seems like, you know, my, my tribe is the veteran tribe. Yours is the female units. And that's awesome. What are, what are those things that you're doing? So they understand like, oh, this is an addition to being an author and a mentor and a coach and all these other things. You're a subject matter expert along a lot of fields, right? So what else do you want them to know? Because those things matter to people that are like, you know, why is this worth my time type of thing? What do you think you should share with them about you that they don't know? They don't have the opportunity to, they haven't had an exchange with you one-on-one or something. Yeah. I mean, I take, I'm very selective in the projects that I take. So to me, like I did a lot of work with a, a natural gas company to help them be more, you know, to look at building edge data centers and do that in a carbon neutral way. So I like the the fun projects the like that. Ones. Yeah, Those the challenging messy. ones. I wrote another, you know, I, I do a lot of white paper writing. So white papers, blogs, technical writing. That's kind where of where do you I'm find, hanging where, out. Where can we find your white papers at? On your website? Oh, all over. So I ghostwrite for other companies. Oh, you I do. do a ton of that. Yeah. Um, from a consulting side, I've done a ton of white white space design and that kind of thing. But for now, really what I'm trying to concentrate on is is get this body of work out. So the children's book, the study guides, all of that. So I'm trying to do the technical writing wow. more than, because it, you know, it helps pay That's the bills, awesome. right? Because I'm totally self-funded. Nobody came in and said, here, here's a few million dollars. Yeah. Um, I'm also doing some work through some UN organizations and through Nomad Futurist. Yeah. We'll be putting some education and training up there because there's a lot of countries where this isn't available at all. Yeah. And they still need data. They and Nabil does a great data. job he of does. reaching so, a large audience. Yep. Matter of fact, he's um he's one of the benefactors for the part of this is funding scholarships and yeah. training. And part of that is going to, you know, part there's of the There's a guy from sales. our team, Jesse yeah. Kendrick from our team is yeah. a, a, a 100% committed to that. Yep. Yep. We're, so part of the proceeds from the book are definitely going to help build some of that nomad futurist and, and some of that academy. Um, but, you know, for me, I think the biggest thing people need to take away from this is that it's not just me behind this book. It is 40 years worth of people being kind enough to share with me. And we put together just such a huge network of people so that they can feel included. They can feel safe to ask a question They're you know, they're safe to come in and, and just bust their ass and we'll all laugh about it later and have glass wine and call it good. So I, I think that big culmination, but from a consulting standpoint, yeah, it just, there's a lot of different things around the industry and, and you're I've a multi-purpose tool. So you can, uh, kind of I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the Swiss knife. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, I've, I've been focused probably more on writing speech, speaking engagements, doing some training classes and stuff. You know, if, if a company is maybe repatriating from the cloud or they're going to bring resources, it, it, which is happening a lot right now, yeah. maybe you don't have resources that can sit down that understand the whole stack. In, in this industry, people are really siloed. And I think a lot of that is because our budgets got siloed, right? Because we grew so fast. So you have server teams and networking teams and storage teams and cabling teams and power teams and cooling teams. I am fortunate enough to have been over all of that. And so I understand the ecosystem and how all those relationships work together. So I work with a lot of companies just helping map those things out, sure. figuring out what their tech stack is going to look like and where they're going to go and where the cybersecurity fits in and that kind of stuff. So I get to pick pet projects and really enjoy that. But, you know, I have a very supportive husband who's been kind enough to carry the lion's share of the of the bills while I put this out because he knows it's a passion for me. So that's awesome. He's a sailor, right? Boiler, He's a, boiler Navy tech? guy, Navy guy. Yeah, boiler tech. That's yep. right. I bet you that guy has some stories. Those, he does, yeah. Um, all right, well, listen. We actually went to Midway in San Diego where the hidden event is going to be. And we went to a craft brewery that's in the barracks that he was in when in basic training. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I bet you that's got to be amazing. I'm looking for, like, I go... I haven't been back to my sub base since I my decommissioning of our sub, but I'll tell you, like even when I went back, like eight years later, it's massively different. I can't imagine that what's like for your husband to go back to a base for how many how many years was it since he was there? Oh shoot, since basic training, probably um, I'm going to say 30, that was forty. Yeah, probably forty. Yeah, forty for sure. Yeah, so I can't imagine what that landscape looks like. And now it's a brewery. He's like, why the hell wasn't it that when I was in basic? Yeah. <laughs> Fair probably question. Probably got left out of me, but. <laughs> well, what is, um, so I mean, to bring this podcast home, because I, I know that I got to get you to the airport, but um, when when you talk to people that don't know anything about this industry, what do you tell them? <laughs> well, my daughter, who is 41, will tell you, I just do some kind of crap with computers. 
but what I tell people about the industry is that you can do pretty much anything you want in this industry. But There's, what is the industry? What are you telling? And the industry is managing the bits of data that everybody uses, everybody consumes, and everybody creates. And that is what the industry is. And that everything that is digitally documented, known to man, lives in these facilities. And we are the caregivers of that data and of those facilities and making sure that they operate like they're supposed to, that it's available when people need it. And that's, I start there. That's excellent. That's actually um, one of the better, like- And it's digestible. Listen, it's something that I think- a lot of people struggle to explain what the industry is. And then because of that, they have a hard time explaining what they do. And I think it's really important for people to understand the significance of what they do. And a lot of people, I think, get into a role and they don't see it for what it is. Like they're like, I wish, you know, they covet something or they envy someone else's thing, but they don't realize how many scars or how much shit people went through to get to that level. And you can't arrive there without having gone through that part of the- You gotta have the school of hard knocks. You have to learn. anything in life, really. Yeah, I mean, like I say it like that because I'm like, I think I value experience very little in terms of your expertise, but I do value it highly in your confidence level. Because as you said, like, you're really just selling confidence. People are gonna look at you. Like I even talked to my leadership team about that when I challenge them or if we're trading paint- what I'm really looking for is to push back on them and see how much conviction they have as they come back at me. And I analyze and interpret that as I will just take and be like nine out of 10 times when he has this level of conviction, they're right. So this is probably one that I'm not probably as well read into, but I have to trust these people. And because his conviction is so high, I'm going to go with what they're saying. But that confidence is what you're talking about, which I think is what moves the needle a lot of ways. So it you? does. Yeah. And I think, you know, even you talking about not being able to get women, you know, to commit to a podcast. <sighs> the hardest thing. talking about tech. But if you pick their favorite hobby and said, hey, will you come on the podcast and talk about my, your favorite hobby? Their confidence level would change because that's their comfort zone. Hmm. And I think, I think right. that the trick is sliding those people into that comfort zone where they're not afraid to make a mistake. They definitely have conviction about what they're talking about. If, I mean, I do tons of public speaking and, and actually really enjoy it. You know, I've been a keynote. I can't tell you how many conferences and, and everybody's like, oh, my God, how do you do that? That's like, you know, do you picture them naked? No. That's a thing, right? You're supposed to picture them naked. I'm like, no, actually, you probably really don't want to go there. <laughs> but the thing is, is whatever you're talking about, just make sure you get it and understand you're going to be fallible. Understand something's not going to come out right. Understand that there's people in the audience that will challenge you. And I've definitely had that. No, for sure. Definitely had Every that. Day. But if you know what you're talking about, it doesn't really matter if they slide off on this tangent. You can answer that tangent. You, because you've been there and that tangent exists in your in your life and your background and your experience. And that's what makes good speakers. Now, if you told me to get up there and talk about astrophysics, if you asked me to get up there and give somebody a rundown of my personal life, that's a very different story for me. Of course. Me. And then I would not be able to do that, right? I'm not, because I don't like to be the center of attention. I don't like to be the star of the show. Now, Who passing on knowledge is a very different thing to me. And so I think it's just getting people into that comfort zone and giving them that support. And like I said, if you give them a challenge, give them the support, all of the tools they need, they will surprise you every single time. That's amazing. Let me ask you this. For those that are listening that don't know the name of your book, how can they find it? Oh, yeah. So you can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of those places. It's called Jumpstart Your Career in Data Centers, featuring careers for women, trades, and vets in tech. How long did it take for you to write that book? Uh, a minute. <laughs> oh, look, 200 pages sounds like it take me 200 years. Um, it, it was probably a good six month process. And there's probably another 200 pages that I cut out just sure. to keep it within that limit. So there'll be probably ongoing ones that break into each one of the different subjects. But um, if you haven't read the book, just kind of give you an idea. It talks about what an IT department looks like, what all the roles are, what the people do, or at least, you know, by, by silo and specialty. Then it goes into site selection, all of the things that are necessary in a site for a data center to be successful, yeah. or if it's going to be constructed in there and all of those jobs. The and development it, requirements. Yep. And then it moves into the building envelope, which is floors, walls, ceiling, white space design, what goes on in the floor, how the pieces and parts and smarts all fit together, and then project management, procurement. You know, there's a few other yeah. key, I think, really good jobs for returning vets, especially, you know, because they have those 
those process and procedure skills. And so those are some that I think they can jump in immediately and, and do really well. And even spouses of veterans, you know, you take a, a wife that's moved around a hundred times with her, they're very with her spouse. Yeah, they're very resourceful. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are things. So I tried to pick and, and touch on those. And I encourage anybody that reads this book, I am happy to answer questions. Do you get into commissioning and then operations? Yep, okay, absolutely. So, so all, operations, all DCIM, all that kind of good stuff. Yep. So um, they can find your book. And then uh, what if they want to reach out to you? How would Absolutely. They... Do that. they can do that on LinkedIn. They can go to carrygets.com and reach out to me there. How do you spell it? Because the way you oh, pronounce yeah. it is not the same. So they're Yeah, gonna... yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's misspelled. Um, C-A-R-R-I-E, G as in George, O, Echo, Tom, Zebra. Look at that. All right. Well, listen. Those if... are probably not the right names, right? Oh, T should no, have been no, Tango, you right? This, <laughs> you nailed it. This will say if they can't reach you, then have them just reach out to me and I'd be happy to broker Perfect. an introduction, it sounds like. But, um, and you have a website. What's your website? I do. Uh, www.strategicom.com, which is the company site. But like I said, you can also get to me at carrygets.com or LinkedIn. You got it. All right. Well, listen, is there anything that I haven't? I mean, look, it's so interesting doing podcasts with people um, because we did this a long version where we're breaking these down into sections and, and cause some people just want to listen to an hour. Some people will listen to the whole thing. I, I feed myself nothing, but I don't, I, all the information that I ever need, I don't even watch that. I don't remember the last time I've even turned the news on. Right. So every ounce of news I get comes through someone on a podcast talking about something from an objective perspective, the long version podcast, which is what I like. And I take a lot of shit over the long version ones, but the reality is, is, I didn't want to break your thought cycle. I wanted to pull everything out of you, right? And and I've noticed that some people are extremely guarded, you know, in, in these podcasts, but what would be, um, but I think that you were very forthcoming on all the things that are matter most to you. And that, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to anybody that's listening. If they had to codify your purpose with one word, I'm pretty sure that, some, that most people would come to the same conclusion, you know, whatever that may be. But, it, you know, thank you for being so onus, honest and genuine and open and transparent because- I need that. We all need that. I need to be able to have more podcasts that my daughter's going to listen to. She doesn't want to listen to me talk about stupid stuff, right? So like, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. And like, it's harder than you think to go get women to be on this podcast. So I'm going to take your advice. I'm going to, traditionally, even with you, like we didn't prep. I'm like, look, I just want to hear about you. I want to hear your story. I want women to hear how you went from this, you know, nomad traveled all over the country and up in Mississippi and got into tech through Mississippi. And now you're in Florida and you have your own IT consulting group and you could cover all you could touch, you go coast to coast in this industry and not a lot of people do that. A lot of people will spend their entire career locked on one segment, one phase of the five phases of the data center life cycle. When there's 250 to 300 different jobs out there you could get. Yeah, you know? I think there's about 300 in the book. Yeah. So what I'm saying is there should be people that should listen to this and I'm hoping that what they take from it is like, okay, so I'm not behind. I'm on track. As long as I'm in the game, I'm making progress. I may not like the job I have. I may not like the pay I have. But there's people that, I mean, take a number. We all have had jobs that sucked. I can't count the number of times I got to a place. And I was like, I shouldn't be here. I took this job for the wrong reasons. But I'll tell you, I needed those to figure out how to get to where I'm at today. Like, sure. you know, there was something that I needed and I was searching for it. And then I figured out, I'd just figure out how to build it myself. And then all I did was I built a team. I built a, a team and then what happened is a byproduct of that is we end up building a company around it, right? And then that company's ability, like the capabilities of what we do, like that just evolved with the team's strengths, right? And I think a lot of people I hope would hear you. And even if there's women that are listening that are like, man, I don't want to be on these podcasts. I'll start with what their favorite hobby is. You know, like when Brittany came on, Brittany Miller was my first female guest. I've never even met her in my life, right? And she runs all construction for NTT, which is a monster of a operator. And I just said, how did you get to where you're at? You know, like maybe someone will be inspired by that. Some lady who is not, never once had ambition to be the, the, you know, the person that she is now at NTT, but that's how she arrived there. And the industry allowed her to grow as long as she, she did it best. She was like, I had questions for everybody and I wasn't embarrassed to ask. And she got that from her grandfather and her, you know. That's how you'll succeed anyway, really. (laughs) Ask questions, just ask. And everybody's approachable in this space. Like I get hit up all the time. Like I said, it is the longest standing apprenticeship program undocumented ever in history, I think. Yeah, that when you said that to me, that had a profound impact because that was the first time that it resonated to me that all of you one day were just working and you were all in orbit around this industry that was emerging that didn't even have a name to it yet. And you guys were all learning together, yep. right? 
and it's and it's it's just changed so much since then that we're all i mean we're still in an internship i'm still learning and the, the everything about this industry will reinvent itself like you said in every three years right yeah. so there's no advantage. People starting today, they have every advantage just as much as we do. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And, and I would say to kind of part of the other reason that I wrote this book, especially on the, on the women's side is no woman should ever be beholden to somebody else for their ability to feed themselves or their family. And you can do that in this industry. And this is yeah. not the same industry that it was 10 years ago. If you left 10 years ago, consider coming back. Because the resources and the women that will support you will blow you away. Well, listen, Carrie, I, I hope that I could count on you to help champion this stuff. Absolutely. Teach us and use our platforms. This one, a DCAC Live, you're like, I'll, instead of calling Mercy every year, I'll just call you and be like, help me patch together something that's meaningful. Yep. I just, I, I don't care what you're going to talk about. I just want you to leave the people that are listening with a desire to go learn more about that and feel inspired to go grow their careers more in this space. Yeah, Can you maybe, do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Be glad to. Carrie, it was a pleasure to spend some time with you. I hope they have the opportunity to do this again, you know, over the course of time and yeah. just anything that you're doing to roll out more education to the industry and to make it available to those that are, you know, a generation or two behind us to where they can start using that as a stepping stone to get in. Let me know how I can help. I'm all for absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Carrie. Thank you. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me.